0: This show contains language that is unsuitable for children.
1: We make
0: Welcome to Straight Vibes, No Chasers. Raw talk on coming out of the closet about our fears and why we're so hell-bent on resisting our highest good. This podcast focuses on the African-American experience concerning fear and our long-standing romance with mediocrity. You can follow and comment on the show topics on Instagram at SBNC or go to PennyMurray.com, where you can also find out more about Dr. Murray's work, her book, Giving Myself Permission, and the African-American Council on Fear. Now, here's your host, Dr. Penny Murray.
1: Hey, and welcome to Straight Vibes, No Chasers from Dallas, Texas. I had every intention to have my second show posted for Memorial's Day, and I didn't get it done. And then I wanted it done by Juneteenth, and I didn't get it done. It just felt like I was struggling with the content. Even though I had it there, I was just struggling to try and pull it all together. And now, here I am on July 4th, and I'm feeling, I'm still struggling. It, it, it seemed like every time I sat down to try and work on the content, I realized my thoughts were blocked by my feelings of frustration for not meeting the timelines that I had set for myself. But I think the more genuine reason for my frustration was I couldn't control the ability to just sit down and things automatically come to me. I was just struggling. My need to be in control is related to the lower energy vibrations associated with fear. Specifically, Fear of being irrelevant, fear of criticism, fear of being vulnerable. Seriously, this is part of my self-work. Letting go of my need to control every damn thing and just let things flow. Just trust the flow. As I was working through my thoughts of not meeting my my timeline, my angels asked me why I was in such a hurry because whenever I post the, the episode, it would be the right time. Over the next few days, I kept revisiting that question. Why was I in such a hurry? Then my divine consciousness reminded me of the guidance I got during a meditation that, a session that I was doing years ago. I was agonizing over my son's counsel to fall in love with the process and what that really meant, what I would have to do and the cost of that, which means patience. That's when I heard spirit say to me, not only must you fall in love with the process, but you have to stop lusting after the end goal. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Penny Murray, and the goal of this show is to speak truth to the many fears that cause us to remain in a loveless romance with mediocrity when we know damn well that's not where we belong. Since I'm acknowledging that I've got to chill out and enjoy my growth process, which includes this show, I have to make a correction about how often the show is going to be posted. I originally had this lofty idea of posting an episode every week. But I had no idea about the amount of work that goes into creating and researching the content and then editing the content and the whole show and pulling all the pieces together. And at the same time, I'm working on revising or doing the revisions of my book, maintaining a full time job and still trying to get some quality me time. So yeah, it's, things are just seeming to like box me in and I'm like, all right, okay. I'm choosing to look at the situation like this. The show is brand new and the listening audience hasn't really been established, nor is it syndicated yet. So I don't have to worry about pissing the advertisers or station execs off, which is really in this beginning process is perfect for growing up and becoming more comfortable and confident in what I'm doing. More importantly, smoothing out the focus of the show. Plus, I'm really, I'm really, really trying to be committed to learning or trying not to control everything, but instead be receptive to the flow of my natural rhythm and the creative genius within me. And so I can't do that if I'm trying to rush the process or force a content. So the greatest thing about this though, is that I don't have uh, an editing or production staff. I'm learning to do this myself. Actually, I impress myself sometimes when I've learned a new way to navigate this whole process. With that said, a more realistic uh, commitment is to shoot for every two weeks, at least until I get some some of this stuff off my plate. And this becomes my full time work and I get some people working with me other than me, me and me or as my son puts it, all of this is on me and I'm a work in progress. As I mentioned at the opening, I wanted the second show posted on Memorial Day and then I wanted it posted on Juneteenth, but I got in my own way and now here we are the weekend of July 4th. As I was sitting here watching uh, what seemed to be more than The usual amount of fireworks going off in the neighborhood than previous years, a lot of things started going through my mind. I I sit there and I was like, wow, this is a lot of fireworks. What's going on? Now, maybe the abundance of fireworks is because the fourth fell on a Saturday. Perhaps the abundance of fireworks is the reassertion of people's ideal of freedom. That COVID-19 seems to be challenging right now. <laughs> but I think the simplest explanation is in previous years, many people, including me, would have gone to venues uh, to watch public firework displays. But the restrictions of COVID have relegated us to stay home <laughs> and the area in which I live in, you know, we're not, uh, literally you can shoot fireworks off of here and people just, they really enjoy it. After I solved that mystery, I continued to watch the brilliant jewel tones that speckled the dark sky, content, just watching. And then all of a sudden the content of this show just started flowing. And I was like, whoa, I rushed back to my desk as the energy was there. And of course, as my angel said, whenever I post the episode, it would be the right time. They were right. If you didn't notice, uh, all those times that I wanted to post, they are all significant holidays for the United States of America. And to do a show that encapsulates all three It just kind of agreed with my spirit and it really just flowed better. So for this show, I want to commemorate the unsung voices of sacrifice. In other words, I wanted to pay homage to the many voices of African-Americans who made the ultimate sacrifice for the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that remains unfulfilled. We could argue that things have changed and laws have been written and passed that pretty much fulfill this promise. But I would argue laws have in fact been passed. It's just that both the letter of the law and the spirit of those laws are marginalized and ignored. So that's going to be what I'm going to be talking about on this show, but before I get into that, you know as I said I have two loves, red wine and the history of the ancestors. So before we get into today's discussion into today's discussion, I got to do my two cents. Now for this segment of my two cents, I want to give more of a general overview before getting into the specifics about Texas wine and the ancestors' experience here in Texas. So I want to start with the Texas wine. As I said, I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed kitchen wine connoisseur, and I'm a pretty badass as long as I'm at the breakfast bar in my kitchen. So in general, Texas wine country is one of the United States most visited wine regions and the fifth largest wine producing state in the country. The heart of Texas wine country is Fredericksburg, Texas. And then there's the Texas Hill country, which is also known as the American Viticultural Area. It is the second largest a certified viticultural area in America with well over 9 million acres. And inside this region, there are 50 wineries, vineyards, and tasting rooms that are producing, as they they say, some of the best vino that Texas can offer. Well, we'll see. Because on the next episode, the first wine I'm going to sample is going to be out of Mason County, Texas, from the Fly Gap Winery. And it's a red blend called Dank. It's the Johnny Rojo blend. So, um, they, they talk a good game. I mean, they talk it up in the wine reviews here in Texas. So we're going to see what it's all about now for the ancestors. Just so you guys know that the research that I'm doing in regards to the African-American experience here in the state of Texas, uh, I'm looking at two resources, the Dolph Briscoe Center for American History. It's at the University of Texas in Austin. And then the second one is the Handbook of African-American Texas, which is published by the Texas State Historical Association. Both of these resources really offer a wide variety of materials on the study of African American life, history, and culture, but specifically here in the state of Texas. So, that's, you know, the resources I reference a lot in regards to what was the experience of African Americans here in the state of Texas. Now, in general, The cultural footprint of African Americans have been on Texas soil since 1530, which is almost two centuries before English settlers landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620. There were black cowboys, settlers, freighters, and farm families from the very beginning of Texas civilization. The Texas region really was primarily secured for settlement by the sacrifices of the black Buffalo soldiers uh, from the U- United States 9th, 10th, 27th, and 28th Cavalry the 25th and the 24th Infantry Regiments, as well as the Seminole or Negro Indian Scout Detachments, which helped defeat the Apaches in the area. Um, And as we know, many African Americans in Texas remained in slavery um, after the United States Civil War ended. By the first half of of the 20th century, many uh, African-Americans just left Texas during what was called the Great Migration to seek work and political opportunities elsewhere. The long-term effects of slavery really can still be seen here in Texas today, especially in the eastern quarters of Texas. So uh, in the eastern quarter, that's where it kind of like blended over into the deep south. This region of Texas was, was also where cotton production, uh, really depended on the continued free labor of the thousands of African American slaves, which, um, The area still really does have a a very significant population of African-Americans. One long-term effect of slavery is the wage gap, which is considered a persistent problem in Texas. William Spriggs, uh, chairman of the economics department at Howard University in Washington, um, he said that one of the obvious reasons for the discrepancy in wages might be that as a state, Texas hasn't ever really shaken its history of having a high level of discrimination. So here I am living in Texas. Now on this 4th of July, which is unlike any other, the country continues to be confronted with the fact that black lives do matter. There is political and economic unrest in, in regards to the inequality um, and COVID-19 that reminds us that life is in fact precious. And in all of this, I really have a sense of grief. In previous years, during this same time, I didn't put a lot of energy into the political reasons for the 4th of July celebrations. I just enjoyed the time of family, friends, food, adult beverages, and the fireworks. Uh, But as I said, I never really put any real weight in the whole political aspects of it. As I have started my ascent into wakefulness my perceptions about life or changing in ways I never expected. I I never expected it. It has revealed how my familial and social conditioning has taught me to really normalize the blatant disdain and disregard this country has regarding the contributions African-Americans have made and given to this country's very existence So as I sat watching the fireworks burst into the brilliant displays of light and wonderment, I find no merit in this ill-gotten celebration. I don't. This weekend, the United States of America is celebrating the beginning of the 13th European colonies' independence from the social, economic, and psychological tyranny from Great Britain under the rule of King George III. However, their freedom and independence came at the expense of life, liberties, and the pursuit of happiness for Native American Indians and free blacks who were already here on the American soil. They continue to usurp unmerited privilege and wealth by enslaving a whole nation of people. That parasitic mentality of the English colonizers, many who came to the Americas as outcasts, criminals, or to escape oppression themselves would become human traffickers, rapists, murderers, pillagers, and terrorists in the name of wealth and political gain. But as they say, abuse people, abuse people. The oppressed and deprived will in turn oppress and deprive others and those who live in fear hate those they fear. At the inception of Memorial Day, which was formerly known as Decoration Day, 180,000 black men who served as soldiers in the American Civil War lost their lives for the promise of freedom. Yet in the wake of the union's victory, there was no federal pomp and circumstance that acknowledged these black lives mattered. The task of burying and honoring the African-Americans who made the ultimate sacrifice fell on the free slaves that survived the bloodiest military conflict in American history. But recognition of one of the first Memorial Day celebrations that honored the ultimate sacrifice of black lives, was relegated to the dark and dingy archives of Harvard University until 1996. David Blight, A professor of American history at Yale University was uh, researching for his book on on the civil rights or the civil war when he discovered a find of a lifetime, as he describes it. Uh, At the time when he was there, he was asked if he wanted to look through uh, two boxes of unsorted material from union veterans. And of course, he he said, you sure? Yes. That's when he came across the file labeled First Decoration Day. In that foul were references to articles uh, that appeared in the New York Tribune describing one of the earliest Memorial Day commemorations, which was organized by a group of free slaves in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, this celebration happened less than a month after the Confederacy surrendered in April 1865. And this whole celebration took place uh, in an area that there in in South Carolina. It was called the Washington Race Course and Jockey Club in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, The once posh. Country Club had served um, as a prison for the Confederate Army to be able to imprison the the Union soldiers. Once they were overthrown, the Washington Race uh, Course and Jockey Club, it became a mass gravesite for 260 Union soldiers. Confederate troops evacuated the severely damaged and fallen city of Charleston. The free slaves, they remained there. And so one of the first things these emancipated men and women did was to exhume those bodies from the mass graves, reinter them, and then gave the, the fallen Union pr- uh, prisoners a proper burial. So on May 1st, 1865, the New York Tribune and the Charleston Carrier wrote about a crowd of 10,000 people, mostly freed slaves, with some white missionaries who conducted a parade around this racetrack. And there were, it was written that there was 3,000 black, uh, school children carried they, those, these school children carried uh, bouquets of flowers and sung the, a song, it was, the song is John Brown's body. And that was supposed to be some great military marching song back in the day. Also, members of the famed uh, 54th Massachusetts uh, and other black union regiments performed double time marches. Black ministers and, and other, you know, uh, religious people came out and, and did verses and everything. And so this was a big could But when Blight went and, you know, talked to, of course, the state officials, they claimed that in there in South Carolina, they claimed that it never happened. Uh, they'd never heard of it. So. Again, the voices of sacrifice were suppressed from both local and national memory. Fast forward Memorial Day, May 25th, 2020. George Floyd joined the ranks of countless other black men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice in a war of another kind all in the backdrop of the unfulfilled promise of equality. And still again, there is no federal pomp and circumstance. And yet still, the task of burying and honoring those black lives who made the ultimate sacrifice fall on those of us who survive the continued conflict in American history. Juneteenth, the historical holiday that commemorates the emancipation of enslaved African Americans whose liberties were denied and delayed by states that snubbed the laws of freedom, has primarily always been marginalized on a a national scale. June 19th, 2020, protests. Rage and rioting consume the streets of many states against the racist consciousness that justifies police brutalities and social inequalities that continue to be a pandemic targeting black lives and the black community. Celebrations that should be commemorating the freedom of African Americans are replaced with widespread demonstrations and the wearing of black T-shirts in mourning of the countless names of black lives lost in the white lie of all are created equal. And now I sit here on July 4th, 2020, trying to reckon with the reality before me. While a portion of the United States population exaggerates their, their right to celebrate their independence, the current social landscape shines a spotlight on the continued hypocrisy of a nation which has grown numb to their acts of violence inflicted on so many others. As an ascendant of the enslaved men and women that afforded you the sovereignty and independence you so arrogantly flaunt, I am in sorrow. Not for myself. I don't really grieve my people either. I certainly don't grieve or am I in sorrow for the millions of African-American ancestors because for them, I am proud. Instead, I mourn for your unmerited feelings of righteousness in not sharing the wealth of life, liberties, and the pursuit of happiness. I mourn your ignorance of thinking that recompense will not come due. The fundamental universal law of balance warns us, you cannot cheat the scales that balance life for long. For due time, balance will rectify itself. I grieve for your need to remain oblivious as a means to protect your egos. I pity your lack of self-awareness because you fail to realize that in your DNA lies the emotional traumas of your ancestors. Their spirits that suffered from the violence they inflicted on others. Your egregious acts of injustice is rooted in a fear you have of the lives you vandalized. And you have yet to recognize your hatred and disdain for others is the haunting of your own historical emotional traumas. So how do we heal the historical ouch locked in the DNA of generations caused by the recurring psychological raping and terrorizing of an entire race of people? I'm not just talking about the victims. I'm also referring to the perpetrators. Whether you are an ascendant of the abused or the abuser, the wisdom and guidance of the unheard voices of our ancestors run through our veins. What do these voices tell us about our fears that are rooted in generations of emotional traumas on both sides? When we go within ourselves to visit these memories of our past, what divine guidance, what do their voices give us that will help honor their sacrifice or atone their transgressions against the sovereignties and the independence of so many others? What as an individual do their spirits offer you that will help us as a country manifest more positive outcomes that benefit the highest good of yourself as well as others? To these questions, I offer a resolve given by Asante Shakur. She uses the word revolution, but separates the R to reveal the word evolution. And the first word found in the spirit of evolution is love spelled backwards. Revolution has always triggered a much needed transformation. It is the shifting uh, of 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 a society's mindset. It's a paradigm shift that demands a people, a society, an individual to evolve to a higher level of consciousness. It's not enough to change the system. We must first change the consciousness of the people within the system and then willingly, willfully embody that change. Asanta Shakur puts it like this. This is the 21st century and we need to redefine revolution in terms of an evolution. The universe requires a revolution for the people by the people, a humanist revolution. The evolution found in this revolution is not about bloodshed or about going to the mountains and fighting. We will fight if we need or if we are forced to, but the fundamental goal of the evolution found in this revolution must be peace. We need an evolution of the mind, an evolution of the heart. We need an evolution of the spirit. The power of the people is stronger than any weapon. A people's evolution can't be stopped. We need to be weapons of mass construction, weapons of mass love. It's not enough just to change the system. We need to change ourselves, our hearts, our minds, and our states of being. We have got to make this world user-friendly. What sacrifices are you willing to give to end world hunger? Colonialism, racism, and sexism. Evolution means the end of exploitation. It means respecting all people, regardless of culture, gender, or sexual orientation. Evolution means treating your mate as a friend and an equal. It means respecting and learning from our children. The evolution found in this revolution means protecting the people and the earth that provides for us. Evolution is creative and beautiful. Evolution is sexy. And the first word in the evolution found in this revolution is love. Ah, that music means it is time for The World According to Penny. So, let me back things down a little bit and give you my closing thoughts. It's easy for us to get caught up in the saga of our disempowering narratives of hopelessness or to render a situation unchangeable. Generations of inherited weaknesses and learned inhibitions have taught us to fear our own divine providence and grandeur. Several things are happening right now in our social landscape on a higher energy level most of us are unaware of. Mother Earth Gaia is slowing things down to heal herself since we who were given stewardship have ignored the injuries we have inflicted on her. Global reflection through COVID-19 has stopped business as usual. And pulls back the veil so all of us as individuals can be self-reflective and receptive in a way that we ask, what can I do to heal this nation's errors of discrimination and inequality? In what ways can I elevate my consciousness from fear to love? More importantly, the universe has given all of us a pregnant pause to engage in self-reconciliation and to nurture our hearts, bodies, minds and spirits back to health. Many times, our greatest hurts and disappointments are the alarm clocks that awaken us to the need to shift to a higher vibration of awareness. It strikes us at our core and causes us to question whether we are living our best lives Too often, we miss the introduction of our life's intended path and purpose because we never realize our life's most significant work wears a mask or costumes uh, of pain, hurt, and disappointment. This lack of intuitive knowing causes us to perpetuate and continuously retell life narratives that focus on the emotional wounds and the violators who cause them that narrative usually blames the messenger and despises the emotional pain. But I can imagine the ancestors saying, to have what you really want, you must match its vibrational energy and resonate with it. You cannot do this if your rhythmic flow is blocked by the swollen membranes of your emotional wounds. If what you really want is, is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all, then you must match its vibrational energy and echo that in mind and actions. If you want black lives to matter, then you must match its vibrational energy and echo that in mind and action. We cannot demand or expect others to recognize or heal our emotional traumas. If we are unwilling to do the work to elevate our consciousness and to heal ourselves, if we are not willing to do our self-work, we are no more than a wounded messenger, broken healer, and crippled activists and teachers. Healing our historical ouch takes place when we learn to interpret the messages of our emotional pain as a GPS system that offers us turn-by-turn directions that lead to our highest quality of life. 13th century Persian poet, scholar, and theologian Rumi said, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. I appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Straight Vibes, No Chasers, and I certainly hope you will keep listening and grow with me in this journey. Remember, you are never the victim of life. You are always the student of purpose. So what skill or higher consciousness are you learning? What task or message are you being prepared for? If you like the show, please do me a favor. Leave me a comment about the topics you are interested in. And also uh, visit my website, PennyMurray.com. Go to the podcast page to read the complete version of my closing thoughts. You can also find out more about my work as well as other ways to stay connected and engaged in the podcast. Now, the next posted episode, don't know. I'm just going with the flow uh, and I'm trying to, like I said, I'm just going to uh, to stop trying to control things. Again, thanks for listening. And as always, I leave you with my closing assertion for your life. You are as spirit created you. You have the power and authority to manifest positive outcomes and the divine wisdom to create meaningful change. Give yourself permission to trust, live, create and speak your life's truth. Ashe.
0: you've been listening to straight vibes. No chasers with Dr. Penny Murray. Listen and subscribe to our podcast from your mobile device with your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions, topic ideas, comments, or want to invite Dr. Murray to speak at your next event, go to contact us at PennyMurray.com. If you're in the North Dallas, Texas area, we invite you to become a member of the inner wellness community by taking part of the African American Council on Fear.